and thank you for tuning in to the Canuck Way podcast. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm the site expert at the Canuck Way and your host of the Canuck Way podcast. Joining me today for the third time now on episode four of the Canuck Way podcast is Sean Warren, a contributor at the site and a mainstay on this podcast. Sean, how you doing today, buddy? Good, good. Back for round three. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to be on the podcast again. To update everybody, the main reason that Sean is back and Braden Ursel still isn't on is because Braden's had a bit of problems with his computer and we're waiting for him to get all those sorted out. He should be my guest next week, but as you know, last week I had to host alone because the problems arised late, but today the problems arised early in the morning and I was able to give Sean some notice that he would be the guest on the podcast tonight. <laughs> so here we are Sunday night recording this. I'm pretty happy to have Sean back on because last week was a bit of a grind to try and do a podcast alone. I thought it'd be about 20 minutes long, but it turned out to be 17, which I wasn't too mad about. It was definitely hard to carry a show on my own, though. I think I did an okay job. It was a lot of fun, but very happy to have a co-host. Really (laughs) brings that added element of having a conversation back and forth, back into the podcast. And that's something that I think has made this podcast a success early on. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine doing it by yourself. I, I know that's something I've kind of tossed the idea around uh, of doing, but it's hard. Like, I couldn't imagine trying to do what you did last week and, and carry the whole thing by yourself. So, uh, we'll see. But uh, having the conversation between two people is much easier. <laughs> okay, so we're going to jump right into it here, Sean. The Canucks are going to play the Toronto Maple Leafs on Tuesday. It's a 7 o'clock start time. We don't have the 4 o'clock start times. Suck it, Toronto. It's actually very nice that the Canucks get to play at 7 o'clock because everybody here gets off work at 5 and they can make their way over to Rogers Arena. Sean, what do you think about this matchup with the Leafs and how crucial is this for the Canucks on this homestand? Well, first of all, I think it's great that we're not catering to Toronto. Um, it seems like they're catered no matter where they go. Uh, so, yeah, they can they can kind of deal with how we watch hockey games and when we watch them um it's going to be interesting i mean the the leafs are a completely different animal now under sheldon keith uh than they were when they were struggling under mike babcock so i mean they thumped the st louis blues the reigning stanley cup champions the other night uh so it's kind of you're you're not sure which leafs team is going to show up uh, they obviously have to make up a lot of ground to get back into the playoff picture or be on pace to make the playoffs again. Uh, but they've certainly got the firepower to to keep up with a like a high um, high event team like Vancouver is, where they give up lots of scoring chances and they they take lots of scoring chances on of their own. Uh, Toronto likes to play that type of game, so it could be a pretty wide open game and high scoring. We'll see. Nothing would be better than a barn burner with the Leafs, who play that running gun style. And the Canucks are pretty good at scoring five-plus goals in games, as we've (laughs) seen, especially games that they win. The Canucks have scored five goals three times in their last four or five games, I think it is. I'd have to look that up to be sure. But the Canucks are the five-goal crew that we saw in October. They're back for December, baby! Well, and we were we were kind of talking off air just before we started about how when they win, they seem to win big with, and it's a barn burner. And when they lose, it's like it's a low scoring chess match, and they just can't seem to find any room on the ice to maneuver. So it'll be kind of interesting to see which one comes out to play. But 
I mean, Toronto is certainly more built towards uh, exchanging uh, high event uh, scoring chances either way. And clearly the Vancouver Canucks have been um, open to playing that kind of style this season. So it should be a lot of fun. I, I'm actually really excited for that game. Looking at it now, going back to the Canucks November 27th tilt with the Pittsburgh Penguins, they lost 8-6, to six, so that was a game they scored 5+. plus. And then in Edmonton, they scored 5 and won by a score of 5-2. to two. Then there was the loss at home on the latter half of the back-to-backs there. And then they scored 5 against Ottawa and won 5-2. to two. And then, of course, the last win at the time of this recording was the win over Buffalo, the overtime winner by a score of 6-5 to five over the Buffalo Sabres. Sean, how about that one-timer from JT Miller that absolutely destroyed the water bottle of Carter Hutton? Oh, yeah. He owes him a new water bottle for sure. It's like I've, I think I've watched that clip, I don't know, hundreds of times at this point. And everybody's got fantastic uh, gifts of it uh, where they slow it right down and replay over and over and over again the, the water bottle exploding. Um Man, what a cool, what a cool scene, uh, and what a what a great way to end such a bizarre game. Uh, I couldn't quite get a handle on what was happening with the officiating through that game. I was really perplexed by it, um, but I mean, luckily for the Canucks, even though they weren't getting the calls uh, throughout the rest of the game, they got it when it mattered the most uh, in overtime, and it ended up costing the Sabres the game at that point, which. I mean, I'm okay with it at this point. <laughs> Speaking of that gif of the water bottle, I think they need to get the Canucks media guy, the social media guy, Derek Jory, I think they got to get him a new phone because it kind of looked like he was recording that one on an iPod shuffle. It, it really really was a low-quality video. You couldn't really, couldn't really tell what was going on, but we all knew what was going on, of course. I guess, I don't know, in the digital age, we're kind of spoiled with how high-definition all the cameras are. I don't know. I kind of saw that video and I was like, what was he filming this on? And I've <laughs> I come to the conclusion it was an iPod shuffle. It's, it's It had to be. Like, I, I was also kind of looking at the quality of it and being like, man, it would have been really cool if this was in better quality. And you could really see, like, JT celebrating in the background and, and uh, everything in much better quality. Uh, yeah, what a cool moment. I, I hope they, you know, with the Canucks, they've been able to do a lot more social media uh, work this year and it's been a lot uh, more effective than in past I think that would be a really cool thing to kind of run with and play with a little bit Sean I think one thing you and I have to talk about is the Canucks goaltending because when we recorded our first episode and our trial episodes everything like that back in October we were just talking about how great Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom were but now in December They've kind of fallen off of being what we considered to be one of the best tandems in the NHL. I don't think it's fair to say that they are the best anymore, and they're not really close to it. I like having them as a tandem, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that they've really been as outstanding as they were in October. They're not stealing the Canucks as many games as they were back in October. No, I mean, you're right. I mean, they were a really strong tandem. Uh, kind of at the birth of this podcast but today uh, they're not the hottest tandem uh, they're they've been solid uh, through some games they've had some really uh, big stinkers as well um, I mean the Pittsburgh game being one of them 
uh, all all we really needed was some some more obviously better team defense but a big save would have gone a huge way into holding the penguins off uh unfortunately we just really didn't get that and i'm not putting this all on on demco by any means but uh it would have been a game changer to have like a uh, game-defining save at the right time for the Canucks, and they just haven't really been getting that from either goaltender right now. Um, we'll we'll have to see if I know Jacob Markstrom was starting to heat up again um, before he took his other leave of absence to go back home for his dad's funeral service. Um, so we'll see. Maybe he comes back just as strong as he kind of left off, but that would go a, a long way in the Canucks being able to hold on to leads late in the game. Yeah, Markstrom has started to heat up. But one thing I've noticed between both goaltenders actually lately is that they seem to be making some absolutely huge saves on scoring chances that it really looks like they have no business stopping. A total collapse by the Canucks defenseman in front of them is followed by a big save by Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom, whoever it is. I've noticed that becoming a bit of a trend. So as I was watching the Pittsburgh game, I was thinking, okay, here we go. They have to close this one out. Demko's going to make a big save late, and it's they're going to keep this game from becoming tied. And then, sure enough, we know what happened next. Evgeny Malkin had other ideas, and the Canucks ended up losing that game. Well, and I think that's a big difference, really, between uh, where the Canucks are right now and where the Canucks want to be. Um, a good team is able to close those games out, I mean, you you don't consistently squander leads like that. And I think the Canucks, where they are right now, they understand that. And it's a confidence thing right now. Like when you can see when they get a lead, they start playing almost scared hockey, right? Like they stop moving. They just start kind of hoping that their goaltender can, can hold them in it and stave off the comeback. And it never seems to pan out because obviously that's no way to close out a game. And then you see on the flip side, Malkin and the Penguins and what they were able to do. Uh, I mean, that's where you, we want this team to be, is to have kind of the confidence that, that Malkin carries into a game. Like, that guy's unflappable. He, he's been there, done that. He's seen it all. He is absolutely the kind of veteran that presence that you want your team to become. And we're just a young team. We're not there yet. That's all. I've seen a few people ponder this question. A lot of people are saying, I think pretty tongue-in-cheek, they're saying, is Evgeny Malkin better without Sidney Crosby? And I think that's a ridiculous question to ask, but it is one that people are asking. And like I said, I do think it's done with tongue-in-cheek. But what do you think, Sean? Is Evgeny Malkin better when Sidney Crosby is not in the Pittsburgh lineup? My gut feeling says yes, but only under... I mean, specific circumstances, right? He's required to be better and thus steps up, right? He's a big game player uh, and he's able to single-handedly turn a game just like he did uh, against the Canucks. He was put the team on his back and said, we're coming back and they did. Uh, when you have Crosby in the lineup, I don't think that's so required of, of Malkin. I know that sounds kind of a weird thing to say. You should always be playing your best and I'm sure he does, but Crosby's the guy that they would lean on in that situation, I think. And uh, when Mal it's Malkin's turn, he 
I mean, he's he's no slouch either. So uh, Penguins are are very fortunately blessed with with two absolute studs over there that are able to to pack a team pretty much single handedly. Speaking of the Penguins, I want to bring up your last article, Sean, because you wrote about two forwards that have become polarizing figures in this market. Josh Levo and Tanner Pearson, two middle six forwards that some people in this market claim are fourth liners. <laughs> I don't think it's a fair, fair, fair statement about Josh Levo and Tanner Pearson to say that they're those kind of players. I do think that they're very serviceable middle six wingers. So Sean, why don't you just kind of talk about your last article? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, first off, I don't understand the polarizing aspect of it. I don't see why people think that they're glorified fourth line wingers or uh, barely NHL caliber players. Like that's completely absurd and couldn't be further from the truth, in my opinion. Um, the numbers certainly support them being top six players and contributing at that clip. Uh, a lot of players are fairly streaky, right, by nature, and it's not like Pearson and Levo are an exception to that or in a class all by themselves with that. Uh, but Pearson and Levo lead the team in a lot of analytics that support them being key contributors to the Canucks offense. And, I mean, you look at what Pearson's on pace for with, with Bo Horvat. He's on pace for 52 points this season. Uh, he's clearly a great fit with Horvat. He's got uh, good chemistry there. And Levo's been more than serviceable for the Canucks. He's he's had every sort of habit that one would want to look for for a breakout player. And I mean, his his most recent games have really supported that as well, as we've started to see him score uh, more and more lately. Um, I mean, the habits are all there. It's just bound to happen that the, those would end up turning out to be goals. Uh, it was more... A lot of times with analytics, you look for trends, right? And so with the with Pearson and Levo at different points, they're, they're producing far below what they should be based off their habits. And then there's kind of the averaging out where it kind of goes right back to where it should be. And there will be points too where it's much higher than, than what it should be. Uh, but keeping in mind exactly what type of player and what their contributions should be. Uh, Pearson and Levo are are definitely giving the Canucks their money's worth with the, um, what they have there. A reminder for everybody: Josh Levo was a fringe AHL NHL forward yeah. on the Leafs that wasn't getting much ice time, and was promised a fresh start by Kyle Dubas, and was given a shot with the Canucks, and the Canucks traded for him in exchange for Michael Carcone who was 22 at the time and hasn't done much in the AHL, doesn't have much of a future in the NHL, but he was acquired for Josh Levo, and Tanner Pearson, on the other hand, was the trade that some people think Jim Benning should be built a statue for because Jim Benning managed to get rid of Eric Branson. Now, say what you want about Benning acquiring Goodbranson in the first place, and this was a player that Jim Benning wanted. Eric Branson was a failure in Vancouver. I think Eric Branson will be the first person to tell you that. And Canucks fans were pretty happy to have him leave and get a guy who was a top six winger not too long ago as a member of the LA Kings in Tanner Pearson in return. I think those were two trades that 
fans are starting to see, okay, we have, have a team because of those trades. Like, our team is needs secondary scoring. It's something this team needed desperately last year, and they're starting to get it. And people say that Levo and Pearson are streaky scorers, but that's exactly what middle six forwards are, is streaky. And that's how it goes. We want Jake Vertanen to turn into a good middle six forward. One of the best case scenarios for Jake Vertanen is turning into a 20-goal scorer Hmm. who can put up roughly 30 to 50 points in a season. That's what you want from Jake Vertanen at this point. He's not going to be a top-line player. That ship should have sailed a long time ago. He's just not going to be what everybody thought he was going to be when he was drafted. He's going to be a very serviceable middle six winger that is dominant in the playoffs. Everybody talks about how good Jake Furtanen is going to be in the playoffs. The Canucks are built on a good middle six, and they have that secondary scoring that can come through. And that's part of the reason we're seeing five-plus goal games. The game against Buffalo is a prime example. Josh Levo pots two. Antoine Roussel, who we will definitely talk about later... Pos 2 as well. It's a catalyst effect to have Antoine Roussel in that lineup. But to have that secondary scoring, back to my point, is just so crucial for this team. And I don't think it was justified that people were trying to run Josh Levo and Tanner Pearson out of town. It just didn't make sense to me. And it's good to see that those two are starting to find their stride and put it all together. Well, yeah, exactly. And I I mean, for what we gave up, I would give Branson and Carcone away times two, times three, times four for those two guys, right? And what they're bringing right now to the Canucks. The I don't know what it is. Like if everybody thinks that the Canucks are going to just roll out three first lines, you know, and just have a bunch of Pedersons and Bessers and and Hugheses, and and that's why they're disappointed with this. Like, what were you expecting when you got Pearson and Levo? Like, you can't tell me that you were expecting any more than what they're currently giving, realistically, right? If you if you knew anything about those players, you knew that right now they're they're producing at career uh, highs right now. So, I mean, going back to your point with Pearson, he was on the LA Kings with on their Stanley Cup runs, and he was on one of the best lines in hockey at that point with that 70s line. And then you look at Levo and not given much of an opportunity, but it really felt like a kick in the teeth for a lot of Leafs fans giving up on him because they knew that he had a great skill set that would be useful for uh, come playoff time or come depth scoring. And you need those types of guys in your lineup as well. And, I mean, the guy who made the call on Josh Levo's time in, in Toronto no longer works there anymore. So, I mean, whether that has much to do with it or not, I mean, you've got to understand that they shouldn't realistically have given up on a guy like Levo. And the really the only reason why they did was was to give him a fresh start away from, from Babcock. So, I mean, the Canucks got to benefit from two great uh, players needing a new home, a new fresh start. And thankfully for us, they're, they're panning out. Jim Benning is a safe haven for these kind of players. He loves giving people fresh fresh starts. He tried to do it with Derek Pouliot. Eric Branson, I guess, didn't really need a fresh start. He definitely did when he was with Pittsburgh. That was a <laughs> yeah. that was a fresh start and again trade. With Anaheim now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That yeah. was a fresh start trade. But 
Jim Benning seems to like taking on these reclamation projects. Reed Boucher is another one. Marcus yeah. Granlund, all these guys that he's gone out and acquired. Sven Berchi, holy cow, the list right? just keeps, yeah. names keep popping up in my head of players that Jim Benning has acquired because he sees something in them that <laughs> that the teams that they're currently being employed by don't. No, like, I'm not trying to knock Jim Benning or anything, but he was definitely mm. right about a few of those. But, you know, there there obviously is a miss. You Going back, you, you don't give up a fourth-round pick, or was it a fifth? I can't remember. And Andre Padan for Derek Pouliot, you don't do that trade over again. That was a trade that I'm sure he probably wouldn't do over again as well. Just like you don't go after Edom or Lyndon Vay and, and guys like that, but... I mean, ultimately, there are risks. And I, I like kind of the train of thought that he's going on, at least, where he's he's willing to take a risk on some of those guys. I mean, there's there's certain players that would be categorized as uh, needing a reset or a restart that I would love in Vancouver. Like, I would have loved to have seen Anthony Duclair in Vancouver. I think he's uh, somebody with a great offensive skill set that would be... Uh, more serviceable sorry than than gold open <laughs> right uh and you know would have filled that role better obviously he's he's rediscovered himself a little bit in ottawa which is great for him but like those types of players you have to find those guys uh if you want to round out and have the depth that you need going forward and the canucks have playoff aspirations they're going to need guys that are cheaper that can jump into the lineup and outproduce what their contract is or outproduce what uh, the league's perception of them were prior to coming to Vancouver and that's how you get players for for discounts right and you, and you need bar- bargains like that if you're gonna have a well-rounded team that can take you all the way eventually and another player who needed a fresh start and the Canucks did pay a premium for him but a fresh start indeed is what he's had, is JT Miller. And how good has he been early on? And I, I'm i not one of the people that's like, there is no more debating the JT Miller trade. It's over. He's got 30 points. That's it. It doesn't matter what happens to the first round pick. No, it does matter what happens to the first round pick. I like the trade right now. And I'm glad the Canucks have a player like JT Miller. But you can't just discount anybody who proposes that maybe in six years time this trade won't look as good for the Canucks as it does right now this isn't something that should be just put to bed and in six years everybody goes oh well hindsight's 2020 because no people are saying it now (laughs) yeah people people are mad right now (laughs) yeah exactly and and you're right like I, I know there's a lot of people out there dunking on the idea that oh like do you think the trade's worth it now like here he is. He's lighting it up with the Canucks. Is he? Is the trade good? No, the trade's not good. Like the, everybody knows, realistically, if you're being honest with yourself, that the trade was not good. Is J.T. Miller a good player and a good fit for the Canucks? Absolutely. This has nothing to do with that. It's a matter of was the cost worth the value that you got in return? And there's really nothing that J.T. Miller could have done to have really balanced that out, right? Like to be fair to him. Right, like there's, JT Miller has been everything and more that the Canucks wanted him to be, right? And we're trading for, but the Canucks were, like, they were negotiating from a position of strength, and they gave up a ton to get him. 
and that's that's where people's gripe comes in it's nothing to do with you know whether he's what they should have gone after because yes absolutely that is the player that they should have gone after but like even uh jason botford was going after like talking about how miller would be a great fit but the why was he a great target because the lightning were vulnerable and they everybody knew that they had to get rid of him at some point to alleviate cap stress for Braden point they got rid of him and they gained a first round and a third round pick in return like that's that's a big cost i mean nobody in tampa is crying right now about the jt miller trade as much as everybody likes that narrative it's it's great for the canucks right now but that that will eventually hurt a little bit is losing that first rounder all we can hope for is that tampa drafts the biggest draft bust in history and they pick (laughs) from the 29th spot and the canucks are doing that well that's all we can hope for now exactly Anyways, right after this advertisement plays, we are going to talk about Antoine Roussel and what he's brought to the table so far. Two goals, three goals, excuse me, three goals in two games, is it? Unbelievable performance from Antoine Roussel. But yeah, anyways, after this ad, we'll get back to Roussel. All right, Sean, let's talk about Antoine Roussel. How about the fiery Frenchman returns on Alex Burrow's Ring of Honor night, an emotional moment, a sold-out crowd at Rogers Arena honoring a legend in this city. The Dragon Slayer, Alex Burrows, gets his name in the Ring of Honor, and Antoine Roussel goes out and scores in his first shift back from what was a gruesome injury that he suffered in March of last season. Oh, like as soon as it went in there would not even be before that when Godet was going in and you could see Roussel cruising down main street wide open and he made that pass cross i just i just yelled no way on my couch watching it because i couldn't believe that of all people antoine Roussel was gonna walk right in and get that scoring chance and i i had no doubt at that point that he was gonna finish it it just seemed too good to not happen and unbelievable like you couldn't have scripted that if you tried to and any better than what ended up happening uh i mean you just get chills even thinking about the celebration that he had too where he points up to uh the suite where alex burrow's new ring of honor uh is and uh, what that what alex meant to him what alex meant to all of us like at that moment i was like roussel is one of us absolutely he's one of us like he's he's seen it he understands us he's he's a canuck right to the core and i i man like you gotta love that exactly Roussel's celebration in particular i don't know if you saw the video they actually had a camera on burrows when he mm-hmm. was walking up to the suite he didn't see the goal but no. someone said to him because he heard the horn and he said oh they scored and someone said yes Roussel. Roussel scored and he said, oh, no way. And he had a huge <laughs> smile on his face. And he's and he asked them, he's like, did he do the bow and arrow? Uh, obviously referring to right. uh, Luke Bordone's old celebration, the bow and arrow, which was adapted by Alex Burroughs to be shooting a bow and arrow to his late friend into heaven. And that was a cool thing to hear Burroughs say, oh, did he do the bow and arrow? And uh, I guess the guy who was answering his question didn't really understand him because the guy told him that he did. He's like, yeah, yeah, he did. He did. And right. uh, Burroughs got really excited. and was like, oh, I knew he'd do that. Like, it was awesome. But then, yeah, obviously, that's not what Roussel ended up doing. Uh, and his ex- explanation and his thinking of why he shouldn't oh, do that touching. was 
very touching. Yeah, that was, he said, basically, that is a celebration that's reserved for Burroughs. And uh, Roussel actually didn't know Luc Bourdon, so he said, that's not my place to be doing that celebration. That belongs to Burroughs. That's his connection with Luke, his late friend, and that's how it should stay. But nonetheless, Roussel's celebration was pretty awesome, man. I must say, oh, it was yeah. very cool to see. And I've actually become someone who doesn't cheer that much when I watch Canucks games. Uh, obviously, that's because I'm trying my best to be unbiased about the team and sitting in the press box and everything. You just can't be doing that. So I, I've i been, like, when the Canucks score, I'm pretty straight-faced on my couch. I make my notes, whatever I'm doing. Uh came out of me on that time i must say yeah. when russell scored uh i had a similar reaction to you i had a <laughs> fist pump i was alone i think i think maybe my brother was upstairs but i was freaking out i was i was very happy the fan in me definitely came out on that one i wish it hadn't but it was a cool moment no matter what i think there might have been some people in the press box i don't want to name names who were celebrating on that one too, but that was a great goal by Roussel and a great celebration. And like you said, you could not have scripted that any better. Well, and I, th- I think there are going to be moments and goals where they're just so much bigger than the game itself. And, and that was one of them, right? Where you get a guy that came back from his injury. Like you said, he's been gone for so long. Uh, everybody is well-documented the, the relationship that he has with Alex uh, and obviously, we all know what Alex means to to everybody that has anything to do with the Vancouver Canucks or really in BC in general. Uh, he had such a, a far-reaching impact away from Rogers Arena as well. It was such a cool moment, and I know that's like that's another gift that I've watched over and over again is is the celebration. Uh, I love Bertanen's face too, <laughs> hugging him and from behind there. And uh, yeah, what a, like what a cool moment! And I think like having guys like Roussel and Goddad that celebrate really hard, uh, that's that's impactful to the team. That's that gives energy. Uh, you could see how fired up the the team was that night uh, for Burroughs, uh, and then watching Roussel score like how how could you not be like amped to eleven? right at that moment like the Canucks were buzzing in that period Roussel and Gaudet are exactly what you want out of a third line yes the two players that a successful team with good depth has on their third line and it's the top nine that fans Travis Green and Jim Benning alike all wanted to see out of the gate I don't know if you get that with Brandon Sutter in that spot I'm not trying to say Brandon Sutter doesn't have a spot on this team because if you recall, before he got injured, Brandon Sutter was playing some of the best hockey of his career. He's playing really good, yeah. Brandon Sutter was buzzing out there, and I'm very excited for when he gets healthy and this team starts to look like the team that it was in October. But Adam Gaudet and Antoine Roussel, especially Roussel, is exactly what you want out of a third liner, a middle six winger. And someone put this stat out there. I don't know if it's true. I haven't looked it up. Someone said Antoine Roussel has more even strength goals than Bo Horvat does. And he did it in two games. So that's quite a stat. I don't do it that way. You will. I just think that's a neat little stat. And I don't even know if it's true. I think someone was trying to make a point in a comment section. So they threw that out there. Shout out to whoever that was, but that Antoine Roussel has been 
a catalyst for this team early on. And that third line is starting to look like it has the potential to be the completion of a good top nine forward group that can score. Well, you want your third line to be able to feast on soft matchups, right? And and Roussel, Gaudet, and I really like Jake Vertanen with them as well. That's a lot of speed. It's a heavy lineup, and they forecheck really, really hard, which I love. Uh, lots of energy on that. And they have all the right skill sets to just eat teams away on their bottom six. And like, what's not to love there? Like, I, I think that line has been one of the best line. Well, it's, in my opinion, been the best line on the Canucks since Roussel came back. And if, like, I don't want it to be broken up. I know Sutter is going to be coming back at some point and he'll need a spot somewhere. But to me, like, you just cannot touch that third line right now. It's it's clicking way too well. They've got all the right pieces. Gaudet and Roussel showing chemistry together is phenomenal. And then you add in, like, the speed and the heavier game that Jake Vertanen has and maybe a little bit of Roussel's rubbing off on him, maybe. Who knows? But, uh, I mean, at least when Jake's hot, like, you gotta you got to keep him there. I do believe that when Sutter gets healthy... He'll slot in to the wing with Jay Beagle and Tim Schaller. And I think Louis Erickson's going to be finding himself in the press box again. Or but I Utica, think that's a... Yeah. yeah, who knows, really. But I think that's a safe bet is that Brandon Sutter is going to slot back in on the wing there. I don't think you can justify sending Adam Gaudet down to the AHL. And I do think he's also played the number of games that he, he would now need waivers. I'm not too sure how... That's I don't. Correct. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah. That's correct, sure. I yeah. saw uh, Patrick Johnson of the province throw that stat out or something like that. I wasn't sure if it was waivers or what it was. Um, but yeah, if if they're going to send Adam Gaudet down, I, I I don't think they're going to send Adam Gaudet down. I don't even know how to phrase. Yeah, yeah they, they can't. I don't want to say can. they can't, but they can't. They should not be sending Adam Gaudet down once Sutter's healthy. Adam Gaudet hasn't, has justified why he should stay in the NHL. So I think when he's healthy, Brandon Sutter's just going to slot into the wing with Jay Beagle, and all will be fine because Louis Erickson will be out of the Canucks lineup. Yeah, no, I I agree. Like the last game was the one where it it pushed Godet past the, if I'm not mistaken, it was the last game that uh, pushed Godet out of the waiver eligibility. Now, so he's he's effectively, I think, a Canuck for the rest of the season, which is great news. Um, what that means is that there is going to have to be somebody that goes down. Um, they've already put Goldobin down, uh, but Brandon Sutter is going to be healthy here soon, and they're going to have to come up with one more player to send down. And uh, I hope that the Canucks stick close to the lineup that they had last night, um, and that's with Louis here in the, in the press box. So if it's that's kind of the ranking that um, Travis Green has, one might think, does that mean Louis Erickson is in Utica soon? And I mean, you got to think it, it, it's got to be close, right? Like it's got to happen at some point. Louis doesn't contribute what he needs to. Uh, the wor- the best case scenario, he goes down to Utica, he gains a little bit of confidence and contributes meaningful minutes down there and at least mentors and teaches some of the, the younger players down there. Uh, worst case scenario, his career dwindles to nothing and the Canucks have their roster spot back, I guess. Like, there's really no more upside that we're going to get from having Louis in the lineup. 
Uh, we've already seen a, a few other uh, big name players from that uh, brutal free agency summer uh, have a similar fate. Thinking of Andrew Ladd, for example. Louis Erickson, like we've talked about it for a long time, I think he's going to be sent down here shortly, to be honest. It seems like this organization will do anything in their power to make sure that Louis Erickson does not end up in Utica. Mm-hmm. But I think they're running out of options, if I'm being honest with you. I well, think they, they're going to have yeah. to. Their hand is forced here. It is. I mean, they they don't have the cap room to keep him, right? Uh, they don't have the roster spots to keep him. Somebody's going to have to get sent down. They put Godet on waivers. He's gone immediately. Uh, like You'll have 30 other teams put a claim in on him. Like He'll be playing somewhere. Um. I mean, with Louis Erickson, you you at least know he goes down as much as you would rather him not go down than somebody claim him. Nobody's going to claim him, and he's going to go right through. You don't lose an asset, right? Um, I don't really see any other option there for him. Yeah, I think they're running out of creativity. I don't think there's any way that they can they can avoid this. I think the fate is is staring them right in the face. This is going to happen. This is what needs to happen. And I think Louis Erickson's time as a Canuck is dwindling down, and his time as a Utica Comet is just starting. So we'll have to see what the decision is on that. (laughs) But kind of to close out this episode, I think we should do a Can You Believe It segment. And it's one that I told you I was going to rant about for a while. Yes. And I think everybody should just buckle up, because I'm about to just (laughs) go off. And I promised on Twitter that I would go ahead and do this. I'm going off the cuff here, so bear with me. But can you believe it, Mr. Sean? Can you believe it? There are people out there who still think that Quinn Hughes' defensive play is a problem for him and the Canucks. I can't believe this. This is one that makes no sense to me, and it's such a lazy take. We heard it before. Hughes is small. He's offensively gifted. There's no way he can play good defense. He's going to get shrugged off. We saw it opening night. Sure, Leon Dreisettle dumped him. He looked terrible out there. What the hell is this kid doing? And then he goes ahead and totally changes everything in his defensive game, makes very few defensive mistakes, and he plays some really good defense. And the reason I bring this up is because Braden Ursel put out an article on Sunday about Qu- about uh, Quinn Hughes, and he talked about how Quinn Hughes, he referred to him as the Canucks' best defender. And mm-hmm. that struck a chord with a bunch of people in the comment section of that article. <laughs> and people were going, oh, how can you call Hughes the best defender? The defender's job is to keep the puck out of the net. Well, here's a fun fact, Canucks fans. Canucks concede less shots and less goals with Quinn Hughes on the ice than they do Alex Edler. And Alex Mm -hmm. Edler's the name that other people say is the best defenseman on the Canucks. The best all-around defenseman. Quinn Hughes has more success at both ends of the ice than Alex Edler does. It's a statement of fact. That's how it's going to be. And people are saying he's not the best defenseman on the Canucks because he doesn't kill penalties. Well, in a year's time... When Hughes is killing penalties and he's a mainstay on every special teams unit the Canucks have and you want him out there in every situation, 
you're going to be eating your words because Quinn Hughes right now is the best defenseman on the Canucks and there's no other way to put it. It's just such a lazy take to say that he doesn't play good defense and I hate to say it, it's a take that I believe for a while because I heard it so much. I went up to Chris Tanev and said, so Tanny, well I didn't say that, but I said, so Chris, do you think a reason you and Quinn have been so effective together is because your defensive play paired with his offensive abilities? And Tanev stopped me, I've told this story before, and he said, well, Quinn plays really good defense. He plays extremely well on the defensive end of the ice, and he's not given enough credit for it. So this is something that the players are aware of, that people are talking about this and saying that Quinn's defensive game is a problem. Because Tanev took the time to tell me that he that he thinks that Quinn's not given enough credit for his defensive time. So this wasn't the first time that Tanev's heard it proposed to him that Quinn's offense is much better than his defense. Quinn plays good defense, and I don't know how else to put it to people. If you watch a Canucks game, the Quinn Hughes' ability to close in on forwards, breaking into the zone, his ability to break up passing lanes, his superior hockey IQ to do absolutely everything to make the other team not score a goal, which is literally his job as a defenseman. If you just watch the games, you'll see this. I don't understand why this is still a conversation. Sorry for yelling into my mic. I don't understand why this is still a conversation and why people are still talking about if Quinn Hughes is the best defenseman on this team or not. Let me ask you this. I'm bringing it down. Sorry, Sean. Hold on. No, no. I'm bringing it down a level. (laughs) I I agree. (laughs) If, If you could choose one defenseman to lose on this Canucks roster, who do you think has more of an impact on the team? Alex Edler or Quinn Hughes? Oh, like, uh, bye, Edler. Like, sorry. Like, I like Edler a lot, but he's not the best. Like, I don't know what kind of brainwashing we're we're dealing with here where we think that Alex Edler is the best all-around defenseman. Like you said, it doesn't really even take uh, just an analytical perspective where Hughes edges Edler in it. Eye test, analytics, whatever. Watch a game. And you will see that Quinn Hughes' impact on the game is substantial on both ends of the rink. He's a fantastic uh, puck carrier. Uh, He's like a one-man breakout on any, like whether it be special teams or not special teams. Uh, Like he he takes over the ice whenever he's on it. Everything flows through Quinn Hughes. When Edler's on the ice, they're like he's. Don't get me wrong. He's a good defenseman. He is, and he has uh, different efficiencies that he's uh, better in than others. But Quinn Hughes dominates his abilities in every facet of the game at this point, and it's not even close. You can give Quinn Hughes penalty killing time if you wanted to, but why would you want to? Like, why would you want to take your prof- like prolific offensive defenseman and harness him with penalty killing duties? Like you have players that you pay a lot of money specifically for penalty killing. Why would you take Quinn Hughes and put him in that role? It doesn't even make any sense. You can, and he would be fine, but why? You know, like it just it doesn't make any sense in in any scenario to me at this point. When you have other options that are are effective, re- relatively effective for penalty killing. Like Quinn Hughes is by far the best defenseman. It's not a hot take. It's not uh, an opinion. It's 
he is light years away from the next best defenseman on the Canucks. And there's good defensemen on the Canucks, but he is light years away from them. I'm not even trying to pick on Alex Adler when I say who would you no. rather lose. If you could keep one Canuck defenseman from getting injured for the rest of his career so that the Canucks would never have to struggle without him, <laughs> it would by a mile be Quinn Hughes, his yes. impact on the game. And I I hate this take so much because I think, like you said, you used the word brainwash. I think that's a great way of putting it. Fans in this market need to rethink the way we think about defense. Mm -hmm. A good defenseman isn't one who is totally incapable of putting up points, but is great in his own end. That's not what makes a defenseman good. A good defenseman is allowed to put up points. He's allowed to be offensive-minded. If he can hold his own in the defensive end, which Quinn Hughes has, yeah. they're a good <laughs> defenseman. We are so lucky to be in the era of Quinn Hughes right now and watching this young defenseman break into the league. And as Thomas Drance wrote, he may even surpass Kale McCarr in the Calder conversation. And that's unbelievable. So. He's yeah. on pace to break Elias Pettersson's rookie scoring record, which, by the way, he set last year. And it was Pavel Burry's record before that. Think of how good of a defenseman you have to be to be breaking a scoring record that was held by the two best forwards in Canucks history. A I can't swear on this podcast, but a freaking <laughs> defenseman is going to break this record. Almost swore there. Yeah. A defenseman <laughs> is on pace to break this record. And you're trying to tell me that Alex Edler is a better defenseman. It's such a lazy take. It's a bad take. And it's not a hot take to say that Quinn Hughes is, by a long shot, the best defenseman on the Canucks. I'm bright red right now. I'm, like, sweating. <laughs> I was yelling into my mic there. I'm just going to, like, take a break here, Sean. This is the end of the episode, but if you have anything you'd like to add, I'm just going to try and catch my breath now. Sure. I mean, it to me, like, I don't know who, off the top of my head, I'm trying to rack my brain on who would be considered the best shutdown defenseman in the league. But for for illustration's sake, I'm going to use Chris Tanev since we're all familiar with him. He's a defensive savant, all those things. Who would you rather have, John Carlson or Chris Tanev? Who's a better defender? Obviously, it's John Carlson, and it's not even close. Like John Carlson is blowing the league away with his points. Uh, he could win the heart as a defenseman. Uh, it's insane what kind of points he's putting up. And guess what? If you're playing it, primarily in the offensive zone guess what you're not doing allowing goals and john carlson has been just as effective defensively as he has been offensively and the few names that have been put in the similar breath as john carlson is kale mccarr and quinn hughes that that's the end of the discussion at that point nobody's talking about how alex edler is potential for norse trophies in the future or that he ever was in his career, people are talking about how Quinn Hughes could break records that have stood since the 30s, and that he will, at some point, him and Kale McCarr, fight for Norris trophies for decades. And here we are talking about whether Alexander Edler 
is a better defender. And I, yeah, no, I, I have nothing more I could really say about that. It is insane. Uh, the game has changed. If you believe that, you are stuck watching games in probably the early 2000s. Uh, the league has completely changed. Speed kills. Offense thrives. The shutdown defender is a one-dimensional defenseman now. Offensive defensemen generally are pretty well-rounded. Quinn Hughes is an elite offensive defenseman. He is an elite defensive defenseman. He is an elite skater, puck mover, everything. His edge work the other night was unbelievable. It was just pure eye candy. I've never seen such incredible, like what a clinic he put on in that corner. That was incredible. Like I watched that over and over and over again because it was just something you don't see from a rookie defenseman. Defenseman we're talking about. Elias Pettersson breaking the record and everybody oohing and on about his points. And his rookie season was spectacular. Don't get me wrong. But Quinn Hughes will break it? Pro- like, he's on pace to break it. And I say he does it. That, that's unbelievable that our rookie points record for the Canucks, a team that boasted Pavel Burry and Elias Pettersson as rookies, the record will be held by a defenseman. Unbelievable. It'd be incredible if he could break it, that's for sure. Uh, sorry to all our listeners that had to hear me scream into a microphone. <laughs> I'll try to try to keep it to a minimum of that. But uh, yeah, I was reading those comments today, and I must say, those were some pretty bad takes, guys. And felt like I needed to come on and do that. I felt like I had to do the service. Uh, I'm willing to take that fall if anybody was... Anybody's pissed that they had to listen to me scream. Uh, I hope you, I should have maybe done a warning that you should have turned down your volume before <laughs> I went on that rant. But uh, yeah, anyways, I think that's all we have for this week. Thank you once again for listening to the Canuck Way podcast and listening to my rant about Quinn Hughes. Uh, you can catch us every Monday morning at 6 a.m. The episodes go live on Spreaker and Apple iTunes. You can find our companion articles at the same time, 6 a.m. Monday mornings. For Sean Warren, I'm David Quadrelli, signing off.